standard issue for all women. Hello there, Jen here to tell you about this episode of The Sunday Chops. It's another double bill for you today, you lucky, lucky people. In the other episode... It's our fourth and final episode in our series about the menopause in which Mick is chatting to activist and I'm going to say all-round 90s icon legend Meg Matthews to ask her about why she started MegsMenopause.com and that is a fascinating listen as have all of the episodes in that series been so please do check that out. In this episode, Mick and I caught up with comedian, writer, just like TV hog, frankly, but in the best possible way because we love her, Sarah Pascoe, to talk about her new book, Sex, Power, Money, and the many, many other things she's up to at the minute. The book is absolutely fascinating. I'm not going to tell you too much about what it's about because Pascoe's about to do that herself, but she's a very, very good writer and it is a fantastic book. And we had, as you will hear, an absolute hoot chatting to her. So I hope you enjoy this as much as we enjoyed it. We are joined by, and by we I mean me, and Mickey. Hello. We're joined by Sarah Pascoe, who is chatting to us about her new book, Sex, Power, Money. Sarah, hello. Hello, guys. How are you? Really well, thank you. So the order of that title. Yeah. Yes. Has Sex, it been confusing Power, Money. People? I guess, Not yeah. Me. It, but this is what happens in life anyway. My first book was called Animal, and, it, and people call it Animals all the time. I, like, I don't correct them, like I know what they meant. But I don't, <laughs> don't want to take credit, because there's another book called Animals that's now a film by Emma Jane Unsworth, and I don't want to look like... Are you getting any royalties? Well, I don't want people to think I wrote that one, because <laughs> it's amazing, and I would like love to take credit to someone else's work. It's just not yours. And so, so if someone writes Sex, Money, Power, then I'll have to start going, that's not that one. Why those three things in that order? I guess because for me, this was at the root of me trying to work everything out. So the questions I originally had were about sex in both kind of meanings of the word sex in terms of the gendery way and also sex in terms of the reproductive or uh, recreational <laughs> kind of way of sex. So this is where I was kind of starting with like, oh, why? Why do people watch pornography? Why do much more men and women think it's OK to pay for sex? Those kind of questions. And then coming out of that was that we have a hierarchical society and that's built on a hierarchy in our evolution. And so I was kind of interested in kind of finding out about dominance and oppression and what that does to the body and then also kind of what that does to kind of power dynamics between people. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, the transactional nature of so much of human interactions, which was much, much more important to the book than I realised it was going to be. I think I came to lots of areas with a moral question that just became like the bottom line is, <laughs> oh, people are vulnerable if they have no money. Yeah. People are coerced mm. by having no money. Like everything is underwritten by economics in a way that is not always obvious. And I guess like money is the status that comes with power. You, get, you tend course. to have more power, you yes. tend to have more money. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very hand in hand. When you have money, you have autonomy, choices, power over yourself. When you have a huge amount of uh, money, you might be a corporation, neither of you, but somebody might be. And, and then suddenly, yeah, you now have political power mm. and things like that. So, yeah, so then it kind of interrelates all the way back up again. So then when you get situations like the film Indecent Proposal, where you have a billionaire thinking he can offer someone a million pounds to sleep with them. What, like, what drew you to this in the first place? I, so I wrote this book called Animal, and 
and in it I was writing about the female body, just concentrating on the female body, female experience from my subjective point of view, how the body was treated in culture, things that people might not know, da 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 da. And I always had this idea um, at Faber that the second one I'd write was going to be about men, and the working title was Manimal, and it was then going to be exactly the same book, and it was going to be about the male physiology, it's going to be loads about testicles and sperm production and, and how we treated the male body in culture. But there was this one topic that I didn't handle in Animal, and that's because it was kind of too big, which was pornography. And then I thought, well, you can't write about it in a book just about the female body, because it's kind of suggesting that we only ever look at women's bodies, and it kind of ignores that half of the people in porn are men. Mm-hmm. And, then, and obviously um, the majority of consumers, which isn't to say that women don't consume pornography absolutely millions of women do so I thought oh that will be a chapter in the male book and then as I was researching pornography I realized that everything I had kind of believed at the beginning or thought I was going to write about was completely wrong and I was very naive and it then kind of took over and then from that I realized that the book was going to be completely different there is some biology and there is some about the male physiology but it became much more about transactional sex and porn just on an animal note oh yeah i took my brother to see you my much younger brother to see you when you were touring and you were talking about it oh yeah and he loved it but he does always when he is teasing me refer to his penis as his plunger now oh because you said it was like a plunger so thanks for that yeah that's in this book (laughs) (laughs) he wants a more drawn-out version of the plunging mechanism so there's this brilliant man and his surname's gallop and he did all of the experiments with prosthetic penises and prosthetic vaginas to see what kind of coronal ridge on um, the human male penis, which other apes don't have. They have smooth phalluses. He t- just to find out what um, size of coronal ridge would be the most effective for getting sperm out. <laughs> yeah. And that is a fun study <laughs> if you want to read wow. that. Yeah, Aaron, don't read it. I'll never hear the end How of it. How old is he? Not oh, too he's, young. No, he's like 30 okay, now. Fine, okay. He's just quite a lot younger okay. than me. No, we well, say quite a lot younger, like he's nine. Yeah. <laughs> and now he it's thinks weird. his penis is a plunger. <laughs> Look him in under my coat. Yeah. <laughs> The dynamic you're talking about, basically the power dynamic of all the sort of transactional nature, I guess, mm. of sex and money and power. And How early do you think that comes into play? Mickey and I were chatting about this earlier mm. and we were talking about how you kind of come to realise at a point, oh, I have something they want. I was like the little short, fat, funny kid. Yes. So I didn't have a certain value. I didn't. Mm, yeah. I, was, I was not a... Not a sexy child is the wrong yes. way of phrasing it. But yeah. I was not one that the, the boys chased mm. at all. And mm. I quickly realised yes. that. And I was like, oh, there's a thing that I don't have yeah. that other women or other girls do yeah. have. Yeah, well, actually, I think for, for lots of people, it's it's before even, like, kind of realising it from your peers or from kind of girls and boys your own age. Some people have it with their, one of their parents. There's this whole thing about being a daddy's girl. Mm. And, like, have you heard the phrase like this? Like, oh, she's got daddy wrapped around her finger. Like, yeah. oh, daddy just can't say no. That's transactional. And I yeah. think for some people, that's the lesson that they learn is, if I do big eyes and ask nicely, the big man can't say no. <laughs> like, the big, the big man with the wallet. <laughs> and it's like, it's so creepy. Um, I did not have that kind of relationship with my dad, obviously. No, so, so I think that's where the thing is, and maybe that's why maybe I slightly question it more. And then I remember being explicitly told, maybe at like 15, 16, 17, that like, 
Mm. Women's power is their sexuality. Yeah. They can manipulate anyone they want to. Like, and, it's not and, true. <laughs> well, absolutely. Also, and also because what you're taking is kind of prerequisite is that the men have the power yeah. and you can trick them out of it if you're yeah. just lap dancing really well. <laughs> and also, I think there is, there's a, a lot of men who are resentful of that idea. Like, I've been a lot on like Reddit forums and kind of. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes, and actually, even some kind of people who do their own YouTube videos and they're very angry and they're like, they come in, they do this. They they use you they trick you it's like oh because that's what that is when you're saying oh you can manipulate somebody out of their stuff or their money or into providing for you that is awful yeah it, it, that isn't any form of empowerment and for those people i don't know you might not agree with me on this but i think i kept reading these people being so angry about their wives taking half of their earnings and i'm like mate i'm furious for you this is the most outdated system we're, we're, we're working towards women should be respected by the economy and in the workplace and things but you then also have to change the antiquated and then yeah if she cheats on you she also gets half of your income like there's just certain things that have to be changed i think because it all feeds into i totally agree with you but it all feeds into the the notion that men have the power and the money yes so the flip side you get is the incel culture where course, they feel they're yeah. owed a woman yeah because you know they've got the power and the money so why yeah. can't they just have a woman yes. that women owe them sex yeah but also that interesting thing that we see now where young girls are valuing themselves but in a way where they still expect men to pay for shit yeah so i know you've yeah. talked about this with us before yeah. actually but that first dates episode. Yes, yes. So very much. That's that's kind of in the the book in a, in a in a longer version because I went through all of the press stories about first dates. So first dates, obviously, it's great because it's an accessible show that most people have watched. But if you put first dates into any of the kind of red top search bars, you'll find that they've done so many stories about women who have refused to let men pay. There's lots of stories in the press about in the last five years where men have asked women for money back like on apps and things so there was one that I wrote about but they're brilliant because they're only kind of noteworthy if it's a small amount of money so there was there's one couple where they went to Costa Coffee and he said do you want to come back to mine and she said no and then she put all of her whatsapp messages with him online so it became like but every paper reported on it that he was saying I want my 2.99 back and I want to spend that <laughs> no and that's why it's, the thing is oh his point is interesting but it's only funny because it's 2.99 whereas lots for lots of men and for lots of men who actually might not be able to easily afford it if they are expected to pay for three courses of dinner and a couple of glasses of wine that might be 80 or 90 pounds when you then say hi oh, I've had a nice evening and I don't want to meet up again yeah and most of them don't become incels or go on raging rampages but I think god what does that do to you like that would hurt my heart I think I, I would always, this is just a little yes, tip yeah. for me when you was dating, I would always buy the first round yeah. because then if I leave, there's none of that shit and I can yes. just walk away yeah. sort of like almost scot-free, guilt-free, yes. that's mine. I but, think that's so wonderful. And But there are people who believe that emasculates men. Mm. I mean, that's the ridiculous thing. Oh, well, so and actually ridiculous. what you're showing is, I'm here to see if we get on. Yeah. I'm not trying to use you. I'm not trying to, I heard a comic, I'm not going to name her. She's really, really funny. But she says that she men have to buy her drinks because of the wage gap, and she, it's a really funny routine. But I was like, "This is dangerous!" <laughs> like I'm like the back of the room going, "This is dangerous territory." Starting to go like, "Oh, this is tit for tat," or this well, is okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tit for cash. Yeah, but it, it doesn't mm. change the the antiquated notion that the men are the ones who start off with the yeah. money. But it used to be that women couldn't work. So you yeah. only have to go back 100 years to go, well, men used to get paid enough to raise a family because they were supposed to be like what we call it, the breadwinner. It was them. 
So that's the trouble is we're in this point of real flux and change and some things are just really behind. So I sort of think we're going a bit backwards at the moment because there is like a culture, I think particularly the younger generation, I think it is rooted in something that is positive, which is about knowing their value, knowing their worth. Yeah. But there does seem to be a culture in younger girls at the moment, which is like, no, you're going to pay for me. You're going to treat me like a princess. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. How healthy is that? Do you think there is any kind of healthy nugget in that? It's really difficult because you sometimes think, is this all rap music? (laughs) Is this all Cardi B's fault? Um, Because I've got, I'm quite disgusting about money and I really like talking about it and I really like having it. And I know some people don't like talking about money and things. And I realise I have the opposite, which is like the exact opposite of those women. My thing was always, I'm going to be able to look after myself. Mm -hmm. My mum, as a single parent with three children, her mantra was always, if a man leaves, he should only be able to take himself with him. You miss him, nothing else. Like, as in everything else is yours. Mm. And so self-sufficiency is my, like, making it rain. <laughs> like, yeah. like, treat myself like a princess. And I think maybe that's it. Maybe the pop music, like our pop music, was like, I buy my own diamonds, I buy my own rings. <laughs> like, it was all that kind of empowerment, which is still, like, a really long capitalist Yeah. Thread. Oh, yeah, there's no shaking that. Yeah. But, but we can make it work better yes, for ourselves, but, like independence. Yes. But it's like odd, like I'm, on one of the dating websites that I was reading, maybe it was something maybe something like Plenty of Fish. That so, is a very yeah. special one, to is be it? fair. Is yeah. it? Okay. Because I'd been researching sugar babies, and so there's this um, website which matches, and it, that, that's completely explicitly transactional. You get gifts, you get money, you go on dates, and you come up with your own rules in terms of se- sexual behaviour. Um, but... What Plenty of Fish was saying it's a really good way of knowing if the man likes you or not because if he doesn't pay then you know he doesn't want to see you again easy and you're like wow like people think there are unwritten rule books but we might be on completely different pages about what they are when I was growing up one of the things that was definitely an unwritten rule was if he spends quite a lot on you you have to sleep with him like that was the thing it's either Mm. don't let him like, for instance, if he's about to buy a bottle of, let's say it's champagne, although no one in Rumford was buying champagne in the late, <laughs> in the late 90s. But um, let's just pretend if you were in a Yates's and he's just bought a bottle of champagne, if he'd come back to the table, I'd have gone, well, I need to at least suck him off. Like, <laughs> but, because, it's true, though. But yeah, it was. Or the Not other thing was, like, don't to... let him, like, literally leave the restaurant yeah. because you understood, uh-oh, <laughs> like, unless I can pay for it, then... Well, it's like you were saying just then, Mickey, and I feel the same. Like, if mm. I am going on a date with someone, I don't ever want to be in a position where I feel like I owe them something. Yes. Mm. Or that they could ever turn around yeah. and say, why did you... Yeah. I want my two ninety nine back. Yes. yes. And I think that's what's difficult about first dates being on TV, is I think there are people who would naturally split the bill in the everyday world, but there's a lot of pressure for the men on that programme to pay. And the well, couple of times where... get given £100? Well, I really hope so. I think the do, men... Do, do but they give it to the men. Oh, they do give it to the men. Really? So that's why yeah. the men was going to be. Well, there was one episode where a man talked about not having enough money and that's why he had to split the bill and he was on benefits and it was just dealt with so excruciatingly to humiliate this person. And he was kind of very conscious of what he was ordering on the menu and things like that. And it's just like some people, lots of people, don't go out to dinner on a regular basis because it's prohibitively expensive. Yes. Or it's why you go to places, for instance, like Wagamama or places where you can buy something for £9. That kind of restaurant, like in in the city, that some people might never go. But that, you'd have a pub lunch, wouldn't you? Like, it's just things you can do mm. that are still... 
I don't yeah, like to eat on no, a first date. I don't like drinks. them to see me eat on a first date. I don't date. want to that's see true. them eat on a first date. Oh, God, yeah, of point. course. That's very off-putting, isn't very it? Very off-putting. Yeah, and you spend all night thinking, I've got something in my teeth. Yeah. Hello, Mickey here. Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure, but I just thought, as you're having such pleasure listening, you might be up for helping us out and making more content that champions women. That's easy to do. You can just bob along to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue, and any spare bunch you might have found in your pocket down the back of the sofa, feel free to chuck it to us. Much obliged. But it does keep that whole transactional. It's such such a weird thing that it is still so alive and kicking. Yeah, the other thing is um, in heterosexual couples, the idea that men are supposed to propose. Because mm. written within that is that um, he, hey, des- he decides... one day every four years. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Then you get to choose. Yeah. <laughs> you get to choose. Finally. <laughs> but I just think the pressure on men, and so my book was, a lot of it was like an exercise in empathy, trying to think, well, what are men being told? Or what, how would I feel if I was a man? What, how would I feel if I was, I was my kind of feminist and a man? Because I think absolutely. I, don't, I mean, I think I'd similarly you know, kind of not really believe in getting married. But I would definitely think... What? Like, ask your dad for his, for his blessing? Like, what is this? Well, it's shuttle, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like property being moved from someone. Yeah, and he literally comes and drops it off down yeah. the aisle. This is yours now. Yeah, there so you're welcome. I am getting married, and Gary ah, did. Congratulations. Propose. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but so my mum, who was a single mum, yes. brought me up yeah. to like properly value myself. And is, I always say she's the best and the worst feminist I know. Mm. She's just amazing. But she was like, I don't speak to my dad. And haven't since I was about seven yeah and so she was like well are you inviting your dad and I was like no and she's like why not who's going to give you away yeah and I was like oh Anne there is so much to unpack here so so very similarly so my dad lives in Australia but I do have contact with him and um but so my other sister just got married and then but Cheryl who got married last year she got my mum to give her away, very similar reasons, um, and my dad was invited to the wedding. It's so odd having to kind of, because everyone has such a like, oh, what a rude rebuff. Like, people mm. thought my dad was going to be very hurt, but he absolutely understood the gesture. What she was doing was going, my parents giving me away, like, it's like this is the person who brought me up. Yeah. How weird would it be to go, hang on, do you want to... <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I know we've not chatted for like 20 odd years, but are you yes, busy yes. next year? The big events, <laughs> yeah, the big <laughs> fly events. back in. Absolutely. I think it's such a hideous gesture, isn't it? Not the the idea that, yeah, the, this man just gives you to another man and there yeah. you go. And I wouldn't, yes. if I was getting married, sorry, Papa Offord, yes. <laughs> it's not happening. It's just because we don't question tradition quite often. Like the taking of surnames, I absolutely understand that when you really, really love someone so much, especially when you're in that, like, I think this is it. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm only ever going to love you. The idea of having their surname is so, like, adorable. But the history of it is like, oh, because you belong to his family now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Again, Anne, love you dearly. But she was yeah. like, oh, you're going to be Mrs. Williams soon. And I'm like, Mum, I'll be 43 when I get married. Why yes. do you think I'm going to give my name away? Yeah. Why when I am established as Mickey Noonan mm. and I am very much like, well, that's just your dad's name anyway. And I'm like, well, isn't everyone's name just the dad's name? Yeah. But... But it's been my name for a long time, yeah. so why yeah, I think, would I... I think it, once you're in your 40s, it's your name now. It's absolutely my name, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> I get to keep it. Just and the other thing is that, so everyone gets a speech apart from the bride. Again, like, historically, probably wasn't a great day for her. No. <laughs> like, they weren't kind of like love marriages. Quite often they were children. And bridesmaids were there as a distraction, so that yes. other families would try and steal the bride if she yes. had a healthy dowry. So yes. your bridesmaids were there as decoys. And also... As, but also really? Yeah. Also, the reason is that they're supposed to be virgins. 
virgins is because they're also a really good advertisement of the unmarried women. So your bridesmaids, the whole point of their maids, is what you're doing is going, and here's some, still to go. If you, I mean, if I'd struggle, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds like a really shit day to me. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a really odd thing. I would like to know, because obviously the thing is when you've written Animal and when you've written this book, yeah. you do a shed load of research. Yeah. So what was the thing that you discovered that absolutely blew your mind? As I said, there were quite a few things. I found out about President of America called Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm. And so he had nicknamed his penis Jumbo. And the reason that we know this is because he got it out all the time. Really? <laughs> Do you not know? Okay, no, so Lyndon like B. Johnson where? at press conferences, for instance. So he was asked why the US were, uh, troops were in Vietnam. And he went, this is why, and unzipped his fly and got out his massive dick. Oh, my I God. Donald believe. Trump looking better by the minute. Not, I was going to say, I can't believe that Donald Trump hasn't been like, right, you're my spirit animal. <laughs> This, but I, so I, I wrote about it a lot in my book because the idea that we talk about a pre- this is how I came about the Lyndon B. Johnson stories was because I was researching like how often Trump's penis has been talked about either literally or kind of suggestively in terms of like the small hands stuff and how defensive he is and I thought it's so odd that the most powerful man in the world could be undermined if mm. we found out he's got a tiny dick yeah. like, because that's how important it is to masculinity mm. so I was looking, researching that and then that's when I found all of these kind of presidential stories which was about penis size and we just associate it so much with status. And so imagine answering a question with like, this is why. <laughs> Politically, this. <laughs> this is what took us there. And Sarah, how long do you think a woman's career would last? <laughs> I know. She was like, check out these bad boys. <laughs> just did a little potato prick with a vagina. And just went, <laughs> this is the reason. <laughs> the thing is, I'd love to live in that world. It'd be amazing. Yeah. The other area where I really learned a lot was, I read a lot of st- studies about the effects of porn or how a pornography is changing. And um, it's really interesting because in terms of what's been proved with evidence... It's not what our received wisdoms. So most people, if you said, is porn becoming more aggressive? Does it make men mis- more misogynistic? Does it have a terrible effect on children? Mm. Those things haven't been proven. And oh. when they've tried to prove those things, quite often they show something else. There's some amazing studies. It's an amazing study that um, was looking at the relation of... It's my PR skidding away. <laughs> so I come out of here. Um, <laughs> there's a, an amazing thing. It was trying to find a correlation between porn watching and misogyny. Now, the, the flaw in the study is that they didn't see how much pornography someone had watched, just if they had watched like a video. Mm. And they found that the factors affecting misogyny and the questions they asked were, should women have access to a kind of terminate pregnancies and, or contraception? Should women be allowed to work? Would you work for a female boss? They were asking that kind of questions. They found the biggest factor were being living provincially, being middle class, white, and right wing. <laughs> and it's what like, a yes. So they were much bigger factors than whether they watched hardcore pornography. So, which is interesting. It doesn't mean that there isn't a correlation, they won't do a different study, but things like that made me feel much more measured. And there was a, a really interesting study called Harder and Harder. Everyone believes that porn's got worse, it's got more aggressive. And mm-hmm. so they studied hundreds and hundreds of videos on most popular tube sites. And they looked for certain things that were really aggressive. So it's not just like, because sometimes with feminist studies, they will look for things like, they will include things like spanking, which most people wouldn't say is really, I wouldn't think of as really aggressive Hmm. pornography no it's necessarily that a lot of people have yeah in their own lives like, yeah. so that's so that's the problem sometimes when you get these statistics like 97 percent of pornography now is violence against female bodies they include things like spanking so it's difficult so this study was it was things obviously like choking mm. would be counted as an ag- aggressive act and what they found was in terms of views and in terms of likes when people give a video a thumbs up the actual increase in 
areas of pornography is female pleasure. So there's much more cunnilingus, and even if it's kind of simulated, like demonstrations of female pleasure, those videos were being viewed a lot more. They had lots more thumbs up than 10 years ago, and there's a much smaller amount of people who look for those like aggressive videos. And there was a really interesting statistic in um, Everybody Lies, which is a book about Google Analytics. And that found that it's a shockingly high amount. Maybe let's, I'm not going to make up a stat. It's a shockingly high amount. Much, much more women than men um, look for rape on tube sites. And you don't get rape videos on tube sites, as in that word isn't something you can search for. But it was much more women than men, whether that's for curiosity because they were into those kind of videos. But there were certain things that were kind of unequivocally shown by studies that really made me re-examine my like, oh, there's a whole bigger conversation to have than just like cancel it <laughs> it's interesting mm. Naomi Wolf writes about that doesn't yeah. she about, about women and rape fantasies yeah. and stuff like that and how we've basically been socialised to be into it well this is what so this is a feminist argument mm. so, so so for instance um Every year, I'm sure it's Pornhub, they do their stats on porn consumption. And every year, women in every country, with last year, it was every, every country apart from Japan, showed quite a massive increase between like 8 and 20% more women were watching porn. So one argument, just, so what I would instantly think is, wow, women are becoming so sexually liberated. Women know what they like a lot more. Women are masturbating more. It's part, of, it's part of our culture. Of course they are. And then what a feminist would say is, young women are watching it as instruction to how to please men. The rape fantasy is such a difficult thing, complex thing to talk about because you don't want to make it sound like anyone ever wants to be. And you actually can't. It isn't ever rape fantasy because you consent. Mm, it's, it's kind yeah. of... It's a role-play pretend thing, yeah. yes. So there's like hundreds of theories about we might... Because actually, quite often, the fantasy is that someone desires you so much that you also desire. It's that pole dark, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd actually never seen him. No, me either. No. But of, co- <laughs> of course, that's the, the, the misinterpretation yeah. of rape that has like male politicians saying, well, if it's real rape, the body shuts down yes, and all exactly. that. Because it isn't yes. about attraction, it's about yeah. power. Yeah, and then and then the other idea is that um, women want it, but they know they're not supposed to, and that's why they don't... So they fight back a little bit, and that kind of thing, which obviously is not... That's, it's nothing like it. There's nothing arousing about being assaulted at all. No. But someone might still, exactly the same person even, might find the idea of something, the idea of it, with someone you do desire... Just to let you know, if you missed us at King's Place in London last weekend, you can catch us there on October the 4th when we have just announced we will be joined by Queen of Daytime TV, Alison Hammond, and the extremely kick-ass Stella Creasy MP. Also, we've just announced the first name for the lineup of our International Men's Day Eve gig, which is on November the 18th, and we will be joined by Craig Parkinson, a.k.a. he of Dot in Line of Duty, and also a host of the excellent Two Shot podcast. Both of those gigs are going to be absolutely cracking so if you would like to join us then please do get yourself a ticket you can find out information about all of our shows on our website at www.standardissuepodcast.com so you draw on your own experience quite a lot and you open the book with what is a sort of fairly inappropriate conversation yeah yeah. (laughs) what were you taught about sex when you were growing up and how Mm. do you think that's changing at all with younger people now and i think it's a really important thing to change i know that 
children are taught in schools consent at every age and they're being taught about pornography and the existence of pornography now in schools. So it's one of the great things the Tories did, which you don't hear very often, but they, they did change sex education in schools. And I think that I think there's so much demand for it. We are more kind of liberated, less prudish. We understand that you can talk to children about the fact that adults have sex and you're not sexualizing them. It has to be people outside of the home. I think what's terrifying is your mum going into graphic detail. <laughs> Well, I as mine did. I had a mum similar to yours. Yes. It's like, oh, I asked a question and I wish I could take that question yeah. back now. So also just like not even having asked a question. <laughs> <laughs> just my mum going through some sexual liberation and wanting to <laughs> share all the details. I think, yeah, at every age there just should be a really safe space. I went with the book research, I went and watched some workshops with young boys in Peckham and men were answering questions and the stuff that they asked, it was interesting because it belied that they were children and I went home first of all and I was thinking there's 12 and 13 of us today asking about they were asking like does anal sex hurt things like that and I think of course you would wonder that because if you've seen hardcore pornography you'll think is that person in agony or ecstasy mm-hmm. and they're trying to work that out without any information at all but then I remembered that when I was at school I had such and I, basically my resources were older children in the dictionary and then <laughs> but I, I knew like words like felching like I, I collected them like dirty stuff yeah. because the idea that it was an adult world and it was gross out and like it was everything all at once mm. and I was like oh it was exactly the same age as those boys where like we were in assembly going oh do you know if you do this it's called that I'm Have sure you heard of a like... rainbow kiss all that kind what's of thing what's a rainbow kiss uh, a rainbow kiss is if you um, on your period I'm sure there's if one if you that... come in a girl when she's on her period and then you go down on her what a and nice then, guy and then, you, and, and then you and then you kiss her and then you kiss her. So it's, I it's don't not, know how I feel about that one, to be honest. I mean, it's not got enough colours for a rainbow. I'm just going to put that mm. out there. Yeah, I know, absolutely. It's a terrible rainbow. <laughs> what hasn't changed is that children, anything about the adult world, we pick up so much really early. Mm. Do you remember, like, adults would talk about something and you would just go really quiet? Like, they would forget you're in the back of the yes. car. Or they think you're watching the programme. And you just listen, like, what is... You, you, your ears are pricked up like yeah, a cat. And you're like, like, you're hot, just going, what? is that (laughs) I don't know but I know that it's important somehow and so obviously they're doing the same things and there are so many arguments that people do argue they're going to have really liberated sex lives because whether they're gay or straight or trans or whatever they're into they'll be able to find people doing certain things Mm -hmm. and they won't feel ashamed or weird they go I'm into balloons (laughs) (laughs) I like to be tied up like they won't be they won't feel like oh they're the only person in the world with their proclivity or their arousal so this like it might be the most incredible sexual revolution just before the world ends where people are like, oh, as long as they're consenting. <laughs> I love stuff like, oh, don't yuck somebody else's yum. Like, because when I was growing up, have you heard that phrase? No, it's a nice phrase. Yeah. It's really great. And it's a really good reminder of like, like kink shaming. So when I was growing up, you'd have gone like, ugh, I think so-and-so's into that. And I think what's so wonderful is they might be growing up like, oh, everyone's disgusting. Like, everyone's really gross. And then vanilla people like me just apologising, like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm vanilla. (laughs) One of the things you touched on there that I think is really key, I wonder if you had this experience. No one ever talked to me about consent. Yeah. Ever. And I had a chat with my friend who has a a girl and a boy. Yeah. And when her girl was growing up, she very much talked to her about consent and what she should and shouldn't accept. And I asked her, have you spoken to your son about that? And she was like, uh, no. Yeah. And that is changing a bit. Yes. Well, there's a, there's a meme 
And obviously, memes are very powerful now. And it's, it's all we've got time for. And there was a meme <laughs> that summed it up so perfectly, which said, we teach our daughters to avoid the men we allow our sons to become. Yeah. Mm. And absolutely, that's an example, because you go, oh, we're worried. We just want this person to kind of know what the world's about. And, but we just think, they'll know. <laughs> and also, I guess if you've seen your... I mean, I guess they become men, and I don't have children, so I'm talking out of ignorance here, but when you've seen someone be a tiny baby, how could you believe that they would ever do anything bad to anyone? Exactly. Like, you've held this... You've seen this tiny creature of course you think they're safe to go out into the world like no one would believe that of their little boy would I think they? it's almost a harder conversation mm. again talking from yeah. the point of ignorance having only ever had cats and now a bulldog but like that whole conversation about consent with a daughter who you want to stay safe but you have to start with your son mm. from the that you, you might hurt someone yes. here's how not to do it it's actually a question before that it's going oh hey when someone's really turned on you'll know about it yeah and and if other boys are telling you to push someone or persuade them or when they're really drunk i guess it's them going like oh when someone really likes you they're gonna you're gonna just you gotta see it in their eyes you're gonna think you're in danger <laughs> like you don't have to worry about that she's not gonna be polite about it you're gonna know like that's the thing you know like the enthusiastic consent like on both sides you go yeah just be slightly more patient it will happen yeah yeah but then do younger women need to know that that's all right if that makes sense do yes. younger women need to know that it's okay for them to be enthusiastic about sex are yes. they being taught that we had like quite a progressive sex yeah. education in yeah. my school because there were lots mm. of teenage pregnancies and they had to do something yes. about it yeah well it's like peer-led so the Sixth form students taught the like yeah. year nines because it yeah, was and they like... were also their mums. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Essex! I know this is I can say it because I'm from Essex. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember any point. Like there was a lot of stuff about how to say no. Yes, and it was okay to say yes. no and yeah. blah blah blah. But. I don't remember there being anything about yeah. like, oh, by the way, it's all right for you to want to as well yes, when you're old that's enough. How you, that's how you know to be ready because we were, t- well, the old fashioned version I was told was when you love someone very much yeah. rather than like when your family is busy. <laughs> when there's a tingling <laughs> yes, down below. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, there's someone who talks about it really brilliantly. I can't remember, this is years ago that I read it, but it was all about how we teach girls that virginity, using their virginity will hurt. Whereas actually, if you're really aroused, it won't. Like sex should never hurt. And if it is a little bit painful, you need to do more stuff before you have the penetration. Like that is the most useful lesson you could know about your own anatomy. When you're really aroused, you'll be super slippy and stuff will happen. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, uh, but that is seen as encouraging yeah. sex, and that's why. Do you know that woman in America lost her job for saying that masturbation should be taught as sex education? Do you remember this woman? Right. So this is terrible. Can you do you ever do an insert with the correct person's name? She was the first. We could Google it. Okay, let's Google it. Right because she, she was a black woman. She, she was point. like the. She was a very very high in Obama's government. And she said masturbation should be taught as part of sex education. It's because it's an important part of sexual health and it also it prevents pregnancies. And um, he, he had to fire her. Obama fired her. Oh, no. Obama fired her? Yeah. I guess under pressure. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's, under pressure. yes. What the fuck am I googling? Obama masturbation. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> um, okay. There's going to be some so, more so videos. Put the so make sure you... Obama fires masturbation. That's not going to work. Um, <laughs> I'm scared. Remember when Jen lost access to all phone networks? <laughs> Bill Clinton. Her name is Jocelyn Elders. Jocelyn Elders. Sorry, Obama. Take everything back. Yeah, it wasn't Obama. Obama would have been fine with it. Jocelyn Elders. So she had that incredibly high position. 
first surgeon general and then lost it for that and then you, then you look what's happened to America now right <laughs> you go right. thank god it's got so much worse I went to see a brilliant American comedian called Anna Dresden while I was up oh, in yeah. Edinburgh and she had an utterly gorgeous but devastating line where she says if we're taught that good girls say no how are we supposed to feel when we want to say yes yeah and it is that I think when you were saying about girls are told that losing mm. the virginity will hurt as mm. well we're set up to fail Yes. On the sort of sexual scoreline. Yeah, absolutely. There's a thing in Pride and Prejudice, and it's exactly the same thing, where Elizabeth Bennett's cousin proposes to her and she says no. She doesn't want to marry him. And he goes, oh, I know women are supposed to say no at first. I'll come and ask you after lunch. If women are told, well, to seem like you have to reject mm. a man a couple of times, then men, when they're rejected, assume, oh, it's because you want me to think that you're... It's part of the chase. Yes, that you're worth it, that you're making me earn the right to, all of those kind of mixed messages things. I guess a question that has come up while we've been chatting, has writing this book, and I realise mm. you've written a whole book, so yes. it might not be a short answer yeah. or something you can yeah. answer, but has writing this book changed the way you feel about the dynamic? Yes, because I started from a place of very entrenched sexism, where I think... For a really long time, since early adolescence, if not before, I have considered there's this, like, monster inside men, and it's their sexuality. And, like, society does their best to tame it in the good ones. And if you do get a good one, phew, but watch out, because he still might kill you. Like, like, yeah. And the thing is, to say that about an entire gender, and I realise that that's my subjective experience, but also it's a thing that I've kind of I've solidified throughout my life, which is the majority of men that I know, actually, I do like, but still as a species, a faceless man or a stranger... Stranger danger. I feel... Yeah, I feel danger about it. So this book has been a, a lot of empathy exercises for me to try and see it from a male perspective. There was something I wrote about, which is how I used to feel very angry with men for their thoughts, which is irrational. So say, for instance, you're at a bus stop and you're wearing a dress and, and a man approaches and says, that's a lovely dress, your ass looks lovely. OK, so that's that's his actions, right, OK? But even if a man looked, as mm. in like looks at your legs, I would resent that. Mm-hmm. If I found out that man's imagined this about you, I would feel angry about that, like everything. So I had to do this a whole other thing where I flipped over like, God, imagine being in a body that's just aroused by other bodies. And obviously that's not all men, and I'm not saying it's not women. But I just had to do so many things where I started to think like, oh, they must feel so much shame all of the time. And I think aggression comes out of like repressed. And then I was thinking about all the conflicting things they're told at the moment. I think that's why so many of them, like, and I know it became such like a, a tired battle cry, but they were confused about these things to do with this hashtag about me too. Because suddenly every woman that they knew was saying, I've had all of these experiences for most of them they were going it wasn't me or it wasn't me on a daily basis why am I being attacked with this Mm -hmm. but also they start going I could be fired some of them are genuinely going I could be fired if I make the wrong move in the canteen or Mm -hmm. I I think they suddenly felt so guilty because they I think because of some things that they think and I think also to have to address behaviors that are born out of mixed messages and a lack of information I think a lot of things that we would consider now unacceptable behavior is because we didn't talk to men about Mm. consent in that way so having to kind of revisit the things you maybe did when you were Mm. younger and like oh did I actually do something that was a bit shitty and maybe not through any fault of my own I just no one ever told me yeah Yeah, yeah. or I think very similarly to most women but everyone's been an arsehole at least once oh yeah like you've got something everyone's probably got at least one memory from a time like say university age where you go if I could go back and change one thing just that yeah and you just have um, I read a book 
I don't know, I'm trying to remember, I think it was by Jack Unwin. I read a few books around the same time, but anyway, he, he was talking about a university and his rugby team, this isn't a sexual thing, but his rugby team had a game where they'd hired a room and anyone that came in accidentally, they were going to throw this like coloured jug. Let's say it's Bacardi Breeze, so it's something awful, just completely over their head. And it's just like part of the fun. And a friend of his came in, like a female friend who was dressed to go out. And she's like in, in a white dress. Oh. And she just popped her head into the wrong room and he threw it at her. And she didn't speak to him ever again. Oh. I think everyone's got things like that. Yeah, well, it yeah. was just like peer pressure or drunkenness or it was this. And so I think I used to say to my ex-boyfriend, like, the reason men are so confused, so they're like, but I'm a really nice guy, but actually, if you ask, you've all been an asshole once. I think you, a lot of really nice men could have been someone's nightmare. We're like, that's the one. That was my one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Can we ask you about a couple of other projects yes. that you're up yes, to? Yes, of course. Um, Mrs. Seem to be the face of every television. Yeah. Mm. So which one should we start with? Travel show Sarah yes. or sitcom Sarah? Ah, travel show Sarah we could talk about. So I've just come back from Georgia. And I'm just about to go to Cuba. And um, it's amazing. Doing a documentary is such a nice way to see the world. Because, like, someone else... <laughs> as it is, like, you are working. So you do, like, work 12 hours a day. And sometimes you have these really long seven-hour drives afterwards. But someone else books a whole itinerary of stuff you just wouldn't see. And you get to talk to actual people from the country rather than meeting a single other person from England. <laughs> so it's so great. Like, Georgia... I don't think I'd ever would have gone there otherwise. It wouldn't be top of my list. You just wouldn't think of it, would no. you? And it's just so amazing. It's so beautiful. Tbilisi, the capital, is just like Paris or somewhere. And you just like can't believe, like, this is here. Nobody told me. Have you been to Cuba before? No, have you? Yeah. Yeah. You've been as well, yeah. haven't you? I went yeah. on my own. Did yeah. you go on your own? No, I went with, I went with my mate Nicola. Oh, right. Yeah. Shout out Nicola. Did you like great. it? I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. It was very interesting. They loved the Beatles. <laughs> They really love the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't love the Beatles, Jen? No, but like... Jen hates a, the Beatles. One of the of funniest things. things that come she, out now. She prefers uh, Paul, Paul McCartney's solo stuff. Of course, <laughs> of course I do. Why are yeah. you going to these places? What is the sort of... So the premise the is finding out about jobs that are about to stop existing. For, for two different reasons. So Georgia... They're both Actually, both of those countries are very affected by the fall of the Soviet Union and yes, communism yeah, yeah. and so they're very different to us and so there's some things that are so surprising georgia is an incredibly cultural country what i mean is they have ancient really old like we went to see these polyphonic singers and they're singing songs that are kind of like sumerian like they go back so far the, the legends and things and we met a boat maker who makes a boat like by hand and he's the only person in his entire district who knows how to do it. And then obviously they're still illegally occupied by Russia. So parts of the country, it's very, very difficult for them. And that's why it doesn't kind of flourish as much as it should economically because there's huge regions where they don't know if the Russians are going to move the boundary again, that kind right. of thing. And, and Cuba is about to open up to the world market. So there's lots of things they've been doing for years and years that are going to change. So we're kind of going before that. There's a, this is a genuine job. In yes. Havana, there's a square called like John Lennon Square, yes. basically, and there's a bronze statue of John Lennon. Yeah, with his glasses. Yeah, we know this woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. she makes because she takes the glasses every yeah. day because people steal the glasses off the a, statue. There's a little guy when <laughs> yeah. I went, and he had a pair because someone has wrenched the yes. bronze glasses off his face. It and kept you can happening. See, like, yeah, the um, like screws like where they were. So there's someone who is employed mm. to be there at all times. They have like 
a little pair of spectacles yeah. in their front pocket, and when the tourists come along, they pop them on John Have Lennon, your picture done. You get your photo taken. Yes. And they put them back in their pocket yeah. afterwards. It's so you'd, amazing. You'd think the mm. leaves would be fairly easy to spot, though, walking around with very heavy bronze yeah. spectacles. Yeah. So one of the places we went to in Georgia, which is similar to that, there's a Stalin museum to the place where wow. Stalin was born, yes. and there's a Stalin tour guide. And there is this thing of like, this can't continue. <laughs> like, there will come a point where it's like, but it was so weird to be there. It was like, there's a massive statue of outside and kids who don't have time were fist bumping Stalin on their way in and people just doing selfies. And we just kept saying, imagine if this was Hitler. Like imagine if, and they were like, yeah, he was born there. Facts is facts. <laughs> so what about the sitcom? The sitcom I'm writing at the moment and we'll film at the end of the year. And it's kind of very much like my stand up and my books, you know, it's about me as me and then it's like a version of my family and you know I'm 38 everyone else is married and having children and things and you're just working out having your own happy life in your unconventional way so you're going to star in it yes amazing yeah um and what are they both called I imagine the sitcom's just a working title at the moment yes yeah it's a I don't have a title at the moment and what about the travel show and that's called last woman on earth when can we expect to see them roughly both next year I think so exciting it's very exciting are you enjoying it all yeah I really am yeah it's really nice to be busy but not at a point where and this is the same for everyone, no matter what your job, but never at the point where you just feel like you're coping. Like, mm. oh, and then I'll get that handed in. And then I do. And that can be the way sometimes like, yeah. with like, writing a book and doing stand-up. You can sometimes be like, okay, okay. And then I'll do that. And then, I, and then I'll have a sandwich on the toilet. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah. and then um, I'll sleep for six hours, but I'll get up early and have 10 coffees. And then I'll finish that writing before I go off. And so actually doing bigger jobs, but like one thing at a time and concentrating is really nice. Big question, though. Mm. Probably the biggest question. Mm. Obviously, oh, yeah. you're traveling quite a lot. Yeah. How much are you missing Mouse? So much missing Mouse. Um, but when I go away, he's been going to stay with my auntie Juliet, and she's got three dogs. So what's so lovely is he has his summer holiday in Sussex. When I go off to work, and the three of them, she sends me pictures every day, and she writes me texts as if he's written them to me. <laughs> and I get sent these pictures, which are so lovely, because it's like him chasing them around a pond, and then them chasing him around a pond, and or all four of them asleep on a double bed. So actually, sometimes I feel a bit guilty taking him away, like, okay, back to me. <laughs> and then he comes and he sleeps, he sleeps a lot at my house, like, oh, that was exhausting. <laughs> Oh, bless It's him. so lovely. It's so adorable. lovely having a dog, isn't it, though? It's well he was, good. Uh, he was at your well book good. launch last oh, night. Oh, yes, I forgot you saw him. Yeah, yeah. met him. Yeah, you met the him. The famous mouse. Yeah. yeah. I really want to put his ears in my mouth. Yeah. Have you done that? Uh, ha- well, I've nibbled. But, um, <laughs> no, I did, and I'll tell you what I did at a party. So a bit like last night, we took, um, we took mouse to a disco, and, and he, just, he, <laughs> fell, he, fell, he fell asleep in the middle of the dance floor, fine. And then this woman came over, and I'd not been introduced to her but she was stroking him and she was stroking him with such tenderness I knew I just thought oh you love dogs I love dogs and she was just stroking him and she was very like tenderly stroking his ears and then I thought I'll be kind so I sort of said to her um, if you smell his feet they smell like humans feet (laughs) (laughs) and I thought I was giving her such a gift of intimacy and then she just looked at me like oh like so repulsed and then backed off and then didn't come over to stroke him again and I said it to someone else like but that was a gift I gave her like he has little smelly feet like a person you were like sniff my dog's paws did your did your yum become her yuck I guess so that's she yucked me didn't she Oh. I love smelling his little feet. Well, I think on that bombshell. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Sex Power Money yes. is out. It is now. Yes. Out or... now, yes, on ebook and audiobook. 
Did you read the audio book? I did, yeah. Amazing. Which is the weirdest thing, because you essentially go into a room with somebody and read them your book over a week. (laughs) Yeah. Is it nice? It's just really, really weird. Do they react, as you're saying? No. No. But sometimes you do get to a bit go, well, this is quite personal about anal sex. (laughs) (laughs) The occasional thing, like, oh, I don't know if I would have planned to tell Lydia this. (laughs) And where can we find you on the internet superhighway, please? Yeah, I have the website, sarahpasco.com, and all those kind of things. There's a list of gigs on there. Oh, you're going to do some gigging as well? Yeah, doing new material gigs all the time. Mm. Thank you so much hey, for talking to so us. thank you so much. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Standard issue for all women.